Hello and welcome to the My Career Podcast with Pathway CTM. I'm your host today, Chris McNamara, founder and CEO of Pathway CTM. I'm here with Ben Allen, founder and CEO of Oomph Wellness Limited. I'm really keen to get Ben on the sofa today because he started a business and he sold a business. It's a social enterprise that does good. So we want to get into the nitty gritty about how he did that today. So Ben, welcome to the sofa. Brilliant. Thank you for having me on the uh, podcast, Chris. Brilliant. Ben, so um, Oomph Wellness, just so we know what that does, um, just top line, what, what, what sort of business is that? Oomph is a social enterprise uh, designed to improve the quality of life of older and vulnerable people. Um, we work across the UK, uh, supporting people in care homes. There's three main parts of the business. There's a training arm to the business. Uh, there's a technology arm to the business. And historically, there's been a transport arm to the business. Um, recently, that um, the training part and the technology part has been sold to one of the main data companies in the care sector called Person-Centered Software. Amazing. And so, Ben, there's so much to go through with you. And it's, you know, you're, you're a successful business person, but I just want to set the scene really because 40% um, of self-made millionaires are dyslexic. And that's a, a reference that I've mentioned to you off the podcast um, because you are dyslexic, Ben, and you know you have made your your efforts in business um, just from nothing, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So um, I, I personally see my dyslexia as one of my superpowers. Um, I definitely think differently. I, maybe I'm not as academically strong as some people, but, uh, but where I'm lacking academic skills, I'm far more creative, uh, incredibly driven. Um, and yeah, pleased to be part of the 40%. Love it. So let's bring it right back to school because a lot of our audience are young people like trying to make make their way in life and think, figure out what they want to do. So really bring it back to them, really. So when did your journey start? When would you like to start off with us? Was it when you realized in school you wanted to do something or was it that you weren't um, a certain way in school? How far can we go back? Well, I guess at school, um, I, I went to school in central Scotland. So, um, so I went to a school where... Um, it was, um, you know, a normal school, so it was, certainly wasn't a private school. Um, we we did lots of sports, so we were focused far more on sport than academic attainment. Um, and uh, from a young age, we learned how to be incredibly competitive. So whether that was um, winning in races with my brother, whether that be sliding competitions, you know, everything was about competition. So we were competitive children. Um, the the schooling, uh, we we were lucky. We grew up in a, in a beautiful um, small village. With a small school, um, it, was, it was an idyllic place to grow up. Um, but then moved down to Scarborough when I was 17. And at 17, then I, I didn't want to resit a year to go to university. I, and I should say, I did resit a year in high school after going to the wrong high school that couldn't support me with my dyslexia. So instead, uh, redid a year and went to a different high school. So I didn't want to redo another year when moving down to England. So then went straight to university at 17 to do, um, to do a four-year degree rather than a three-year degree. And if I'm honest about it, the only reason I went to university was not because of the, uh, the, the qualification that I was going for. It was because moving down to England uh, from Scotland as a 17-year-old, I didn't know anyone. And I figured it was a good way to make friends. Um, and I went to university in the town where, we, uh, where my parents bought a hotel. So... So that's what sort of that's what sort of grounded me in, in the Scarborough area. But um, but today, do, would I spend the eight thousand pounds on the degree that I uh, a year that on the degree I took? Probably not. I, I went to university at a time when um, doing a degree was less than two thousand pounds a year. Wow. Well, young people are looking at more like fifty thousand pounds these days. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a shocking statistic. Um, and Ben, when we look at dyslexia for, from your point of view, there's many different types. What did dyslexia mean for you in school and how did it maybe hold you back? Um, well, 
I certainly read slower than the than the average person, so so I, I read quite slowly. Um, I struggled with maths um, at school, um, but then I then I've got then I should say, but on on the other side, I was very good at sports. I was very good at um, in in craft in like a craft work or in um, tech uh, stuff like that. So. So 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 I I was very weak in some areas and very strong in others <laughs> and and naturally in life I, I've always learned to focus on the areas that I'm strong and kind of get people to help me on the areas where I'm weak and at, at school I had a reader and a scribe um, and I think that probably actually taught me from quite a young age that you know delegate the things which you're not good at delegate the reading <laughs> to someone else delegate the writing to someone else and all I need to do is focus on the speaking <laughs> and uh, I carry that forwards uh, throughout my career. So again using what you have and, and making it work for you and, and, and adding value to what you're doing really because being good at delegating is a, is a key skill as a CEO I'm sure. I, I, I think it's my number one skill I am I, I would say I'm pretty awful at most things so so fortunately with it within the business i really do believe that everybody is better than me uh, but the one thing that i am very good at is delegating <laughs> <laughs> it makes your life easier i'm sure ben for sure um and so just before we leave uh, schooling um just to hit you with a stat here so 86 percent of like big employers don't recruit by subject discipline they don't really mind what you're studying mm -hmm. yet a lot of teachers are saying you know you need to study xyz to be to, to, to keep your options open etc where do you fall on that because I almost want from you a message to young people who might be doing stuff that they don't really want to be doing. Um, they're, they're not that driven and they're not that into it and they may be miserable doing it. You know, um, what would you say to those young people? Well, I, I think firstly, you should always just do what you love. I mean, I, I, I strongly believe that sitting in a classroom studying something that you've got absolutely no interest in is, is, a, is a thankless task. Whereas if you just focus on something that you love, you'll become expert at it. Um, if you take me, for example, I loved exercise and I built a career around exercise and very, very few people would have been able to see the success that Oomph had when it started off by people doing cheerleading in care homes with older people and we turned that into a, a very large business. Um, but it just shows if you focus on doing something that you love, it can take you anywhere. And Ver versus um, ticking all the boxes for, with the right academic attainment. And that's your route? For sure. Yeah. yeah. And let's talk about the fitness side. So you went to university and um, just talk a little bit more about how you became a bit of an expert in the fitness space. Yeah. So um, so I went to university, I studied um, sport and leisure management. Um, so so pr pretty normal degree. It was certainly wasn't a flash degree at all. Um, I did pretty awfully at it. So, so I got a 2-2. So a classic Desmond. Um, and I thought the whole way through university, though, I had a full time job. So I worked for an international school. So I worked for a school, a language school called English Venture. And um, that I think that was probably the most important thing that happened to me was I worked for this amazing entrepreneur. So I was at university uh, studying. Um, but then when I wasn't there, I was going to Germany working for this international school and this entrepreneur called Voin, who was very competitive, very fit, athletic guy, um, uh, and obviously had his, had his business. I was learning from him what life could be like as an entrepreneurial person, um, and that that was really that was really great. Um, and then going from there into uh, 
yeah, into I guess my the wider degree, I, I focus far more on uh, what what life is going to be like after the degree rather than the degree itself. And, and and often we get told in life you need to you know go into work, start earning, saving for a house. Did you have any sort of um, flexibility around your your studies and any travel that, that that you managed to fit in there, or did you go straight into right start a business, being an entrepreneur? No, not at all. So um, so basically, when I was at university, I. I travelled a lot. So, so, so first, first, as I say, I worked, worked for the international school. Um, that was throughout university. When I uh, qualified, uh, or, or it's not qualified, but but sort of got got the degree, um, I then went off travelling. So I went travelling with my brother. Um, so we went away for a few months. I'd come back, and then at that time when I came back, I decided to do a personal training qualification, um, because I wanted to be able to essentially fund my my travels. So I'd come back, did the qualification. Passed the qualification, did about three months personal training, saved up enough money to go traveling again, came back, did some more personal training, went traveling again. Um, so for the first four years after university, I spent pretty much 50% of my time traveling and 50% of my time working. Amazing. Okay. And when did the um, business start forming in your head? Or maybe the question is, when did you start looking into the care sector, which is what it was in? What came first? Sure. So... I was very fortunate as a personal trainer. I was lucky to work with incredibly wealthy people. So um, by by pure chance, um, so I was working in Fitness First York uh, t- uh, as a PT, and one of um, my clients uh, was a guy called Peter Rhodes, and I didn't really know much about him. He turned up to the PT sessions in his Doc Martin boots, his ripped shorts, and his ripped T-shirt, and, and generally just just looked pretty rough. <laughs> and I was like, Who, um, and and for the first two sessions, he didn't pay me. Anyway, third session was coming up and he didn't turn up to the session. Apology text message saying, sorry, Ben, can't um, can't uh, come back, but I've moved to Australia. Let me know uh, if you're ever in Australia. So I, I didn't really think think anything of it. But Luke and I were traveling again and um, and we ran out of money, actually, in Malaysia. And our next stop was Australia. And this guy, Peter Rhodes, owed me the equivalent of two pay, uh, PT sessions in money. Uh, so I figured if I got in touch with him, he could provide me with free accommodation for a night whilst we got settled in Australia. Turns out that Peter was uh, a multimillionaire pharmaceutical drug inventor, and he flew us to the Great Barrier Reef when we landed into Australia. So it just shows uh, uh, it's always worth uh, keep, keeping a good network. But it was through Peter that I ended up working around the world as a personal trainer with him um, and his family. And but from there, I built a bit of a reputation for that, and then got headhunted to go to work for the European Institute of Fitness, where I trained people to become personal trainers. That was in Spain, and then from there, I did a bit of guest lecturing for the Australian Institute of Sports. And it was in those roles that I really specialised in special populations, so exercise for people for stroke rehab, cancer rehab, um, obesity, diabetes, older people. Uh, dementia so um, so I had a good grounding there and I really understood the business of fitness and at that point I decided right do I want to work for people I was having a nice time working uh, in Spain and then guest lecturing in Australia did I want to do that or did I want to work for myself and decided I wanted to work for myself and that was the uh, the moment amazing so that's a great build-up with your skill set and and how you got to where you started the business what was the catalyst so so when did you start the business can you remember what was your first memory of this is Oomph wellness well, I can remember the, mem- the moment where I sort of came up with the idea. I was walking along, um, I think it was along a riverbank in Brisbane and uh, thinking, right, I, want, I don't want to work for these people. I do want to work for myself, but what am I going to do? And thinking, oh, Scarborough's got quite a lot of care homes. 
and I know a bit about exercise and I reckon I can train up people to go into care homes to deliver these exercise classes. And I thought, right, that, that, that's what I'm going to do. And I can also remember ringing my parents to say, I'm going to do this. My parents tell me that, uh, ask me what was I thinking, leaving a very good job to come back to the UK to uh, move back in with them to go door to door selling in Scarborough. So, um, so yeah, but, um, but the very first care home I went to once I got to the, back to the UK was directly opposite my parents' house, um, uh, a small care home in Scarborough. And they said yes, and, and that really sort of uh, opened up the opportunity. If, I think if they said no, I would... Uh, be back off working for somebody again but uh, but they said yes and that sort of created uh, created the pathway and so let's just talk about that in a little bit more detail so you've, you've flown back to Scarborough family home I'm guessing yep and and so so you fly back on the on the Monday mm. and what after your jet lag on the Friday you just walk into a care home just talk us through the emotions and what you were thinking there and walking into a care home mm. to do what what were you expecting yeah, so so got, bear in mind, I'd never been in a care home before, so I didn't really know what to expect. And um, for those of you who haven't been in a care home before, it's a pretty, pretty scary uh, place to go initially. Um, but, uh, but yeah, literally turned up to the door of the care home. They weren't expecting me, knocked on the door and asked to meet the manager and said, I, um, I really believe that um, we can make a difference to older people's lives through high quality um, structured exercise. Do you want to give it a go? And um, they fortunately said yes. And it turned out that there was a massive uh, gap in the market for for exercise for older people. I mean, in the UK, less than seven percent of older people meet the World Health Organization guidelines for physical activity. At the time, I didn't know that. Turns out that was a ninety three percent opportunity, and I uh, I really focused on, on on hitting it. So Ben, your example, you just went with action, and the rest followed. Whereas I hear a lot of people who do a lot of business plans but never take action. What's your view on, on the market around entrepreneurs that never get going? They're not entrepreneurs. Um, I, I, I think that um, you need to be action-oriented. Everything that I've done is, um, has been at, uh, basically nothing. Or you, can, you can obviously join the dots looking backwards, but, but there hasn't been a master business plan there. I've followed my nose. I, I saw there was an opportunity in exercise. I sent personal trainers into care homes to deliver exercise classes. I then learned from the care homes that actually the best thing to do was to train the staff in the care homes rather than stay, training up people to go into the care homes. So I started training up staff in care homes, how to deliver exercise, but also looking after wider wellness within care homes. We then saw that there was a big issue around older people getting out of care homes on days out. So I launched a bus company to take those older people on days out. We then saw over COVID, there was a big issue around sort of um, uh, getting content to care workers to support the delivery of care whilst the pandemic was going on. So we built a content platform for them. Everything was responsive. You know, I, I wasn't sat back in um, some office coming up with a master business plan. Personally, I think that there are probably a load of geniuses who can do that and they'd have made half the mistakes I made. But I am who I am and I, I'm always going to go out and get it versus sit there and theorize about uh, the potential upsides and downsides. And you did it. And I did it, yeah. Um, ben, so they said yes. Yep. What What are you feeling when you go back to your house there? You're thinking, goodness, what am I going to do now? How did you then deliver it? Yeah, well, the, I, I delivered the first classes. So I so I, I was the salesman. I was the delivery person. Uh, I was the admin. I was the finance. So I, so I did everything initially. Um, then I went to sold to the next care home down the road, then the next care home down the road. And I saw that they more were coming on board and thought, right, do I... Am I the delivery person or am I the salesperson? So I think, right, I'm going to be the salesperson. Um, and I then hired, well, subcontracted people to deliver the exercise classes for me and I trained them how to do it. 
and then we grew that. So then I kept selling. Um, so I sold into Scarborough, I sold into Whitby, into Bridlington, into Moulton, into York. And bear in mind, this is door-to-door -door selling. This isn't sort of me going to meet a corporate. I'm going to the door of the care home saying, I think this is a good idea. What do you think? Um, and that, that was, at the time, the business plan. Um, I got to meet lots of care homes, and then obviously the business model evolved and uh, went into training staff, and, uh, and I matured with it. But, but the key point was, was I wanted to make myself redundant from every role. I didn't want to be the exercise guy, so then I hired people to become the exercise people. I did. I ultimately didn't want to be the salesperson, so I hired a sales team. I didn't want. To, I definitely didn't want to be the finance person, so I hired a finance person. And I, I really focused on those people being at every every time I made that hire that they had to be better than me, because I didn't want to be their manager. Hmm. Um, I I I'm, I knew that I, I would be an awful manager, so they had to be pretty pretty great at the job. And what's your lesson for young people listening to this, thinking I couldn't, I couldn't do what Ben did there? Well, I, I think that it, the the bar is, you know, the bar with me is pretty low. <laughs> I, I'm a pretty normal guy who got a virtually no, well, in fact, got no A levels, um, got a two two degree, got pretty normal, uh, the equivalent of GCSE results. So. Um, so I wouldn't say I had any sort of flash qualifications. What, what the main thing that I had was drive, and and I think that's that's what young people should understand. Like just because you don't academically attain doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. I'm really really driven. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a great story. So now you've got Oomph Wellness Limited. What made you come up with the name, by the way? What does that stand for? Oomph stands for our organisation makes people happy, and that's what we do every day. Wow, social enterprise, right? Social enterprise, so we evidence all of our impact. Um, we um, redistribute the majority of the profits back to the social cause. Um, yeah, we um, we exist to make people's lives better. And so talk me through where you were at pre-COVID. How many people did you employ? W where was your office, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, prior to COVID, we had 98 people, um, the majority of which were drivers. Um, so 30 buses, 60 drivers, um, 10 trainers, uh, central staff, so so quite quite a big team. Uh, offices in Wimbledon at the time, I think, or was it Surbiton? A mix of both probably. Um, so, and, and growing really quickly. So we've grown from, from sort of this mad idea of exercise changing the care sector to, um, to this quite big health and wellness, or well, the largest health and wellness business for all the people in the UK. Um, and growing really quite quickly. Um, we would had signed heads of terms on raising quite quite a few million pounds to uh, grow the business from 30 buses to 100 buses um, and really kick the business on. And of course, uh, COVID hit and um, the deal fell through and uh, life changed quite dramatically. <laughs> and so, Ben, what we're talking about there is is an exit from a business, right? So, so when you start a business, you're meant to have the exit in mind, aren't you? So yep. just talk us through what that means and what it meant for you. Yeah, so um, raising that round of finance would have fundamentally changed my life at the time. I was, I'd worked pretty, pretty much nonstop for for eight years. So, so I'd had um, I'd I'd obviously built the business, but to build the business, I had I'd probably worked harder than most people should work. So I, I'd moved something like ten times um, with the company. So, so trying to grow in different areas of the UK, move the business down to London very focused and then we got to this point where the business had grown it matured and was making money and uh, we'd raise this on paper raise this private equity round of financing me which meant that i would get a chunk of money myself 
um, which would change my life. And it'd give the business enough um, funding to bring in a much bigger management team and to really scale up. So, so it was quite, quite fundamental. Uh, it, it would have been a big change. So that's where you built up to, which was what you wanted from the business, yeah. creating great impact and then selling it and, and making even more impact and benefiting yourself. Yeah. Then COVID happened. Just describe the impact of COVID in, in, a, in, a, in the time that we do have that, that we can hear. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, it's a, a bit of a catastrophe. So the, so the deal fell through. Um, this is all before, before furlough was, uh, was invented. So, so the care sector went into lockdown long before furlough was invented or before the general population would have even recognized COVID. So, um, so yeah, so the deal fell through. The care sector went into lockdown and I was sat there with 30 buses, 60 drivers, 10 trainers, um, without any ability to pay them because because 90% of our income just dried up on the day. So so you suddenly go from this situation where you, you've got this fantastic business, it's growing incredibly quickly, you're raising finance, you're getting lots and lots of money yourself in the process, which could buy you a nice house or certainly certainly uh, ch change the way, way you live in quite a significant way. Um, and then that, that just falls apart. Um, and instead, what you're doing is uh, literally two weeks after um, me signing those heads of terms, uh, 90 of the 98 people were made redundant. So we so we needed to let 90 staff go. Um, we need, then had a big problem because the buses, um, the bu a, a minibus will cost on average about call it call it 1,400 pounds a month. We had 30 of them, so call it call it 40 grand a month of cash going out the bank without any money coming into the bank. So that was a big problem. So we had to um, go to the bank where, where the leases were, were held and uh, basically convince them that to put them on, on put, to have create a break in the contract and you put the, put the contract on pause so we didn't have to pay them for a few months. Then I had to go out and sell all those minibuses uh, so, so we could get out of that uh, catastrophe. We had to buy one of our investors out who didn't believe that they could, the business could get through it. I need to go into administration meetings uh, with administrators on a pretty much every other day basis. Uh, so, so, you know, pr pretty, pretty stressful, uh, pretty bad. Wow. And, <laughs> and what, what was the one thing you're most proud of, of, of getting through that COVID period? Well, I think, I think we were incredibly resilient. Um, I, I'm taking it day by day. So, so, so I think the, the best decision we made was at the time we, we didn't think that COVID was going to be a short term thing. A lot of people did. And we said, okay, this is going to be a big problem. It's going to last for a long time, and the care sector will be nervous for much for a much longer time, even after COVID goes away. Um, and so we need to take radical action today. And so if we didn't do that, and we were hopeful about COVID only being a short-term thing, we'd have 100% gone bankrupt. So we took radical action very, very quickly, which is obviously very hard for the people we made redundant, and it was very hard for for my health and, and other people as well. So it was, it was a very hard period. The next thing that we did, which I thought was very good, was we listened to the clients. So we did have a very large customer base. They just weren't paying us because they um, they weren't receiving a service. We couldn't obviously take older people out of care homes and we couldn't send people into the care homes. So there was no service to be delivered. But what they did do is they provided us with a lot of feedback on the support they did need. And that was testament to the quality of the relationships that we had with those clients. So we were able to learn very, very quickly that the staff within the care homes were very stretched themselves. Uh, the older people in the camps were incredibly isolated and what they needed was a digital solution. So um, we managed to muster together £20,000 to build sort of a, a minimum viable product of a, 
of essentially a, a content platform, think Netflix for wellness for older people. So a content platform that we loaded up with loads of content from exercise content, to activity content, to music therapy content, to art therapy content. And we went and uh, sold that to, uh, to, to our client base. So that, that, that was a very, that was good that we listened to the clients. So then we went and sold it and we sold it hard. So, so I think what, one of the things which um, I'm sure is coming across is I like sales <laughs> and I'm pretty driven. And we, and we drove the team incredibly hard over the COVID period, the, the remaining team members to firstly get the content onto this platform very quickly and sell it to a lot of people quickly. Unfortunately, we, we sold it into about 1,400 care homes uh, within two years, which is about 70,000, 80, maybe 80,000 people using the product. Um, which obviously is great because it's massively improved their lives uh, and um, almost built an entirely new business uh, at the most distressed point a business could ever be. Wow, I was going to say the same aims and objectives, but a completely different business and how to get there. Yeah. Um, and then when you say that out loud and you've told that story, how does it make you feel? <laughs> obviously, it's a, it's a mix of emotions. I mean, at, at the time, I, I reflect on how, how stressful it was at the time. That was that was not good for me. <laughs> um, but but looking at the pride of um, of the business and the team to be able to come through, that was it was quite terrific. And to to grow as quickly as we did. And to build as much value as we did for the shareholders of the business uh, as quickly as we did was was really quite terrific. And just to try and get under the skin of Ben Allen here, did you ever doubt, doubt yourself over that period? Did you think you couldn't do it? And did you think you were going to be a comp complete failure at any time? Any of those things? So, so, so I definitely thought thought that there, there was um, the bridge was the river was too big to bridge across. So, so, so I was looking at this huge catastrophe, thinking, oh, is this actually going to work? Um, or are we even going to be come up with an idea that's going to work? So I can remember speaking to some of my um, clo closer clients and suppliers, like we, we work closely with Deloitte and people like that, and talking to them about what happens if this falls apart? Will you guys give me a job? Um, unfortunately, they, they were quite supportive, but they were saying, Ben, we, we don't think it's going to fall apart. But yes, if you do need a job, you know, you can certainly talk to us. But um, so, so that was, that was so, so there's definitely fear there. But then fear is a pretty good thing, because if you don't have fear, you don't, you, you're not going to sort of... I, I've got a huge fear of failure. I, I absolutely hate the idea of failing. So so if I was if Umf was, if Umf was going to fall over, I needed to make sure that I was going to succeed. So, so, so that was one thing. But then actually, that, so that was a quite selfish in some ways intent. And then I, sort of, then I spent a bit more time on Zoom with the team because obviously you couldn't meet them face to face. I was like, no, we're gonna we're gonna really focus on this. We're gonna gonna do it, and um, yeah, I became more and more sort of focused on on not failing, and I'd say pretty driven by the rage of the situation that I'd got myself into with uh, with COVID. I was amazingly annoyed that the, that everything I'd worked for for eight years had collapsed, and I was sort of driven by by that to 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 make sure I succeeded. It's amazing. It's the unknown and it's the relentless drive to just not give up yeah. is what I'm getting from this. And surely we can put that into any aspects of our lives. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, and, but that, that, that certainly is, is, it's not always a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm very driven. I'm pretty single minded. Um, and that, and that can be hugely advantageous in, in some situations, but also it can, can definitely let you down in others. <laughs> And Ben, so you have sold your business eventually, yeah. which is, which is, I guess, well, I want to know, is that the end of the line? Is that when it stops? Um, talk us through that and how you've managed to do that. And, and I guess the feeling that you've got now, because it's quite recent this year. 
Yeah, so uh, sold, sold the business earlier this year, which uh, was 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 a really great feeling. Um, so so one of the things with the, with the platform that we built, we integrated it into care planning software. Um, so this is like the the way you manage the um, the data within care homes and every, and, and monitor every care interaction. Um, one of the, the company that we integrated with is is the biggest in the market, and they they wanted to buy us. So that uh, was was great. Um, and um, and for all the shareholders and supporters of UMF who have been part of the business for a long time, it allowed them to sort of realize the uh, success of the business, which is, which was really good. Then it comes down to sort of, is, is it the end of the line? Um, definitely not. Um, so the guys at Person Center Software are very keen for me to, to stay on with them for a bit, go over to Australia to help them launch uh, their business into Australia properly. So I'll be looking into that over the next few months. So that could be super exciting. Um, I retain my bus company, so I've still got my buses. Um, just started to build that back up again from zero, so back to three buses, not quite a 30 again yet, but three buses running really well, running really profitably. I can see a pathway back to 20, 30 buses probably, and that can be a really great business in its own right. Um, I'm doing a bit of uh, consultancy work as well, but um, by all, I, I don't think I'll ever not work I'm very keen never to work as hard as I had to work over COVID again. Uh, and I'll probably, uh, within the businesses that, I, that I've still got now, I'd probably look to have um, people running those businesses for me and me to be the chairman. But, uh, but I always see myself being very much active in business. But choosing what you do. Yeah, exactly. Choosing what I do. Through, and through your hard work has, been, has enabled you to do that in the next stage of, of your life, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm. I'm really lucky to to firstly be in a situ be in a f situation where I suppose I've got a certain level of financial freedom, which is a huge luxury, which um, which I don't take take for granted at all. Um, it means I can do things which I really enjoy doing. So whether that is doing my buses or or go or going on a nice holiday or doing charity work. Uh, so so I've got um, a charity which I was chairing for the last six years. I've literally just set, stepped down as chairman. Uh, so there are things which I really enjoy and that then that I don't need to really worry about being paid super quickly for. So 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 that's good. And then um yeah and, and then I guess I guess outside of outside of the whole work thing it means I can go on more holidays and enjoy more more time off and doing different things. It's amazing. It's such an inspiration um, to hear the story because that's what young people can aspire to be like, Ben, and, and, and hear that story and, and, and maybe follow in your footsteps. But I just want to end on because we, we, we do need to wrap up. What, what advice would you have for those young people who might be listening to you or watching this and just thinking, you know, what, what, what small steps can I start to take in my journey? I'm just at school at the minute, you know, doing what I'm doing, not maybe, maybe not even enjoying the curriculum that I've got there, but what, what can I do to try and be a bit more like Ben and start now? Well, well, I, I would always caution people not to be like me, but but but, um, but, I, but I definitely think that uh, for, people should just focus on what they love. I think I think so many people are forced down down pathways of um, of the route that their parents took, or the route that was expected of them, or the route that their teacher pushed them down, and they don't actually know why they're doing it for themselves. So, firstly, do something that you really really love. And you'll always be able to find a way to earn an income out of it. Um, so, so that'd be my first bit of advice. My second bit of advice would be surround yourself by, with great people who you really care about. Um, you'll you'll be the average of those people. So, so make sure that they're they're really great. Make sure you really care about them, and they really care about you. 
um, and that's that's uh, you, that will you'll they'll learn more about that as they mature as well, um, and also take your chances. Um, a lot most people say no to most things. I, one of the things which I'm absolutely sure about um, with myself is I one a big part of how I got lucky was just by constantly saying yes. And by constantly saying yes, I just put myself in, in front of good opportunities. Brilliant. Ben, thanks so much for sharing your story today. Cool. Thanks, Chris.